Daniel chapter 1 in your Bible tonight, the book of Daniel and chapter number 1. Daniel chapter number 1, whenever you find that, if you'd stand with me for reading of the Word of God in honor of His Word, I appreciate your willingness to do so, and if you're not well able to stand, God understands all of that. I am looking forward in weeks ahead to beginning to open things back up. I'm glad we're going to be able to open up the nursery next Sunday, and we're looking forward to getting the youth group going again and all of that they do, and hopefully Sunday school before long, and then Lord willing, get the buses back out there on the streets. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Jesus still saves. We need to be getting the gospel to people for sure. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1. Our Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake to Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I titled the message tonight, We Need Men and Women of Courage. In the day and the time that we live as Christians, born-again believers, we need men and women of courage. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father, it's already been good to be here. I mean, I've been blessed by the singing, Lord. The, just, just, it's just a great spirit. And I pray that you'd continue to work as only you can work. I, I pray, Lord, for clarity of thought and speech. Unction that can only come from you, Lord. That boldness of the Holy Spirit. Just to preach your word as you would have it done. Lord, certainly we want to be in the spirit in everything that we say and do. Bless and help us tonight, and at the proper time, I pray that we would respond to however you might speak to our hearts, and we'll thank you for what you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. Please do be seated. Daniel begins the the account of his life with a date and the names of two kings, Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar arrived in Judea for the first time, 605 B.C., and not long after that, King Jehoiakim surrendered um, the, the city of Jerusalem. And when Nebuchadnezzar and his troops returned to Babylon some weeks later, after the spoils of war were taken from Jerusalem, uh, part of that that they took was a young prince named Daniel. And at the beginning of the book, Daniel's a young man. He's in his teens. 
And by the end of the book, he's an old man, above 80 years old. Of all the things that may be said of the years of Daniel's life, I want us to see tonight that Daniel was a man of courage. And let's pause for just a minute and think of this word, courage. I mean, if we're going to talk about courage and having courage, we should rightfully know what it means. I looked up the definition in Webster's Dictionary, and it said this about courage, mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, difficulty, opposition. Um, It goes on, courage implies firmness of mind and will in the face of danger or extreme difficulty. Now we know that that Daniel faced at least three great tests of faith in his life in which he exhibited exhibited this this moral strength and firmness of mind and of will, uh, definitely in the face of danger and and extreme difficulty. Um, think about some synonyms for courage. Uh, words we would think about would be bravery or valor or boldness, um, daring, gallantry, heroism. Those are words that we might think about when we think about courage. And as a result, when we're looking for examples of courage, A lot of times we'll look to times of war or moments of crisis. Men that had courage to to move in on on, uh, uh, enemy troops or or men that ran into the buildings at 9-11 there in New York City and such as that. Our minds go to things such as that. Um, John Wayne, the Duke... He said this, he said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. I thought that was pretty good. There was a Prussian king, King Frederick the Great. And uh, this king was widely known as an agnostic. And by contrast, his general, General von Zeeland, one of the most trusted officers that he had, was a devout Christian. And so they were having a festive gathering. And in this time of gathering, the king began to make crude jokes about Christ and Christianity. Until everyone was just rocking with laughter. I mean, everybody but... Von Zeeland. And finally, Von Zeeland stood up in the midst of all that crowd and he addressed the king. And he said, This, sire, you know I have not feared death. I have fought and won 38 battles for you. I'm an old man. I shall soon have to go into the presence of the one greater than you. The mighty God who saved me from my sin. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom you are blaspheming. I salute you, sire, as an old man who loves his Savior on the edge of eternity. And it says, it was said that the place just went silent. And that the king, with a trembling voice, replied, General von Zeeland, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. And with that, the party quietly ended. We are living in a day and time where Christianity is not readily accepted by our society. They say we have a Christian nation. At one time it was founded as a Christian nation. At one time I think we did have a Christian nation. I don't think we can so much call that, call it that anymore. Because there are so many people that want to claim that they know God or know of a God, but they don't want to hear anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And there are so many that will openly mock him and ridicule him and use his name in vain without any thought of it whatsoever. And to truly stand up and to be a Christian, I mean Christ-like, I mean take up for God, if you will, (laughs) to stand up for what is right, it takes courage. It takes courage to do the right thing. Well, preacher, I just think, you know, I just, I just, you know, it's just a lifestyle thing. And I don't think that we ought to, you know, make any waves or anything like that. Well, I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ thought enough of you to die for you. To do what only he could do so that you might know him in a free pardon of sin. I just don't see it as a wrong thing that we would stand up at the proper time and declare, um, I really don't think that's funny. I really don't think that is a good thing. I really do believe that the Lord needs people to stand up for Him and to be that way. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm talking about being righteous. Well, who do you think? Are we supposed to act like we're better than everybody else? No, because we're not better than everybody else. But we do have a God that loves us. And we ought to love Him back enough to stand up for Him and stand up for what's right. I only see it as the right thing to do. I mean, this man, Von Zeeland, he, had, he, he stood up to someone that, who could have killed him, had him killed, and he displayed courage because he had good reason to do so. Because God had saved his soul and changed his life. However, what I want to look at tonight is that we don't have to be on a battlefield or we don't have to be faced with a life and death crisis to be a man or a woman of courage. It doesn't have to be that way. Every one of us in here, we all face tests of life and tests of faith, truly. That would give us opportunity to show a skeptical world a courageous faith in God. That we're going to stand for Him when others don't. That we're going to speak up for Him when others don't. All of us have those opportunities. Excuse me. So I'd like to look at three different scenes uh, from the life of Daniel in which he exhibited this courageous faith in God. Daniel took a stand to retain his purity as a young man. I mean, we read that from, from the beginning there. Uh, how that they were carried away captive. He was carried away captive. I've already made mention of this, but from the time he was a teenager until he was an elderly saint of God, Daniel lived as a stranger in a pagan land. I mean, he was exiled to Babylon And uh, he spent a greater part of his life among people who didn't speak his language. Definitely people who didn't uh, uh, share his religious convictions or his culture or his values. And may I remind you, as I have said many times in weeks past, may I remind you this evening that the Bible describes us as strangers in this world. That we don't fit in here real well. Because we're surrounded by people who use language that no Christian should use. Somebody say amen right there. Who, who, set, who, who set before their eyes images that eyes of no Christian should be looking at. Uh, their spirituality, their values, their morals, their philosophies of the people of this world. They're not ours. This is what we live by. The Word of God, what He has given us. And one of the greatest dangers that Daniel faced was that of being corrupted by a pagan culture and philosophies of a Chaldean society. He was surrounded by it. Day in, day out. He was a stranger in a strange land. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. We are to be followers of Christ. 
We're not to be followers of this world. We're not to be followers of the philosophies of this world. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ. So Daniel was determined. Again, in verses 3 through 8, where we read there, we see the decree of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, the choice Jewish young men were to be carefully educated in, in pagan philosophy, worldly culture. We're going to bring these good people, these good young people in, and we're going to train them in our way. We're going to show them, we're, we're going to show them a better way to live. And, and it was with design because it was to equip them uh, for Babylonian service. I mean, to conform them to Babylonian culture. And Nebuchadnezzar could not change what they were by birth, but he planned to change their beliefs and he planned to change their behaviors if he could. He, he took some of the choicest young people and he was going to make them into what he wanted them to be instead of what God would have them to be. And uh, you've read the story before. Most of the uh, Jewish princes were apparently, very apparently, complied with the king's design, whatever he wanted them to do. I mean, oh, sure, we'll just go right along with the program. But Daniel refused to compromise his faith or, or conform uh, his values to those of a pagan culture. He had already decided that he was going to be what God would have him to be and go the way that God would have him to go. And it really didn't matter what everyone else did or what they thought about it. He was determined to live his life and to please God. And he made this decision in verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the princes of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He made a decision to live a godly life. He made a decision to remain pure for God when he was young. And he kept that commitment without compromise for a lifetime. I want to get it. I know this is a very simple statement. But I'd really like for our young people to get it. He made a commitment to God to remain pure and do right. And he kept it. He didn't let anything pull him away from it. He stayed committed. Well, he must have had some special power from God. No more power than what you and I have available. But what he did, he purposed in his heart, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to let anyone pull me away from it. I will do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to listen to the philosophies of the Chaldeans. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be infected uh, by the way that they think and what uh, uh, they believe that I should do and how I should live. I'm not going to be infected by that. I have made a decision to live a godly life. To live a godly life. I like this. Uh, someone has said, right is relative, but godly is settled. Get this. This is good. Right is relative, but godly is settled. So instead of striving to live right, I'm striving to live godly. That's a good quote right there. It's a good quote. That we would decide to live a godly life. <laughs> so here's Daniel. He's in a three-year degree program at the University of Babylon. They're going to train him up the way they want him to go. They're going to plant things in his mind to make them live, make him live the way that they think he should live, to do what they think that he should do. And he went through years of public service. It might have cost him a lifetime of service as a Babylonian slave. 
It might have even cost him his life. No, determining that he's going to live godly instead of the way they wanted him to go. It might have even cost him his life. But it was a price that Daniel was willing to pay. Well, how come, preacher? Because nothing held more value in his life than pleasing God. This is, it, it's so foreign today with the way that our world is, the way that our society is, the way that people's beliefs are. It, it's so foreign today. Well, how come you don't do this? Well, I really want my life to please God. Huh? No, that's usually the answer you're going to get. No, no, if you tell somebody, well, I live do this because I really want to please God. Pretty much the answer you're going to get is, what? Oh, it's a fact. People don't know. They don't understand. They have no idea. And y'all probably get tired of hearing me say it, but I guarantee you there is a God in heaven. He is alive and well. He is a holy, righteous God. He is our creator. He is the one that keeps your heart beating. He is the one that enables you to take that next breath. He is the one that meets your every need. I'm telling you, He is up there. He is alive and well. And He hasn't changed one bit since the time that Daniel lived on this earth. And there was one young man that decided, I'm going to live godly. And no, 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 don't think for a second. Stay with me here. Don't think for a second that it was easy for Daniel. No, he was surrounded by people that were like, oh man, whatever they say, that's what I'm going to do. Man, they're going to give us all this good food. Heavens to Betsy, who's going to pass that up? And we get to drink the king's wine and all this stuff. Man, this is great. This is going to be super. This is going to be good. No, the biggest part of them, very apparently, were willing to do that. Go on. But there was this, there was these men that decided, I am going to please God. It's really amazing how God can use people who courageously say no to the lust and the temptations of this world. No, no, no. I, I know of young people that years ago surrendered to do what God would have them to do. And then they just continued to do what God would have them to do. And now they're in places around the world in missions, doing missions work. And they're pastoring churches in the United States of America. Because one day as a young person, they made a decision, I will please God with my life. And they never veered from it. Oh, I'm sure they made a mistake along the way. Probably tripped up here and there. But they didn't let it stop them. They got back up. They kept on going. I'm telling you, God can use young men and women, even us old folks, who are just determined to keep ourselves right with God. And where God would have us to be. Daniel purposed in his heart. Turn over to chapter 5. Chapter 5. Look down verse number 13. Chapter 5, verse 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. <clears throat> and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought, been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make, them, make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. 
Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, to make known to him the interpretation. So Daniel, years go on, Daniel has a chance for promotion. Man, he's brought into this this place, and yet he had the courage to turn it down, this promotion. And as we, even as we read that, you, 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 I'm sure you took note that Belshazzar, Belshazzar knew Daniel by his reputation. He didn't know him personally. I mean, he'd heard of him and all the good things about him, but uh, very apparently he had not heard so much that he was standing for what was right and good and being godly. And the significance of this is that Daniel had probably not had an active role in the Babylonian court since uh, Nebuchadnezzar had died about 25 years ago. So he's been living out his retirement years in obscurity as far as Babylon is concerned. And then one night, all of a sudden, he's summoned to the palace, Daniel is. And when he arrives there at the palace, um, he sees all the evidence of a drunken party. But the party has been taken out of the partiers because of the mysterious handwriting on the wall. There's booze on the table, but nobody's drinking. There's platters of food all over the place, but nobody has an appetite anymore. There are musicians and exotic dancers, but they all just sit there idle. And everybody is uh, waiting for someone who can read the writing and understand its message. And to to persuade Daniel to do so, Belshazzar offers him this tempting reward. He offered him a promotion to the royal family. He said, I'm 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 going to robe you in scarlet. And he he offered him a portion of the royal treasury. He said, I'm going to put a chain of gold around your neck, son. This is going to be good. And and he offered him a position of great authority. He said, I'm going to make you third ruler in this kingdom. This, This is going to be good for you. I'm telling you. I'm going to take care of you, Daniel. And Daniel refused. All that stuff. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's bring it, <clears throat> bring it up to date a little bit. He's brought in. He's really just, uh, you know, been living his life and quietness and everything. And, I mean, probably enough to exist on. But, you know, I mean, day in, day out, same food, same plan. Everything's going on. Belshazzar brings him in and says, hey, man. I'm going to send you down here and buy you some designer clothes, whatever you want. I'm going to give you an expense account and buy all the designer clothes that you want. Then I'm going to send you over to the jewelry shop. You can pour on the gold. You're going, to, you're going to look good. This is going to be good. This is going to be great. Then I'm going to give you a position, office. I'm going to give you an office. We'll put your name on the door. Come on, that's pretty much what's been said, what is being said here if we bring it up to modern day time. Man, this is going to be good for you, Daniel. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a great thing. Let me tell you why Daniel refused. First off, he was already a member of the most royal family of all. That of the king of kings. Oh, absolutely. He didn't need a promotion. And he had spent a lifetime... Please listen to me, young people. He had spent a lifetime laying up treasures in heaven. He wasn't so much worried about the treasures that were on this earth. And he found all the authority that he needed in the Word of God. He didn't need any more authority than that. And there's another factor. Daniel knew the times. He knew what the future was holding. 
he had already begun to receive the prophecies of the future that we find at the beginning of chapter number 7. He knew that Babylon was on its way out and that Persia would soon take, the, uh, take his place. And therefore, what, whatsoever he might gain from Babylon would soon be worthless. You know, it's really something. There are those who tie their fortunes to this world today. But those that tie their fortunes to this world today are like those people that booked passage on the Titanic nearly a century ago. Because one day they'll all be lost. It'll all be gone. Jesus is coming again. And the things of this world are going to pass away. There'll be no more. And if you want your life to count for anything, you'd better be investing in the things of eternity. The things that are going to last forever. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So he maintained his courage. He said, don't need no promotion. I know he probably used better language, better English than that. He said, don't need no promotion. I'll tell you what the thing says. You're not going to like that either, but I'll tell you. But he had the courage to turn down what this world offered him. But look at chapter 6. Verse number 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He had the courage to remain a man of prayer, no matter what the circumstances were. And one of the things that we see when we read the book of, of Daniel, one of the marks of his life was his prayer life. Daniel was a man of prayer. He, he, he spent time with God. And so when prayer was made illegal, Daniel prayed anyway. I mean, he, he was willing to be blamed for loving his God. He was willing to pay the price for Spending time with God. And there's always those arguments, isn't, aren't there? Of what he could have done and not gotten any trouble. I mean, I mean he could have made a, a pretense of obeying this law by praying secretly. By praying silently. By not making the, a show out of it. And of course, he could have obeyed the law. No, 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 he, he could have. He could have said, look, it's only 30 days. God's going to understand. Only 30 days of not praying. I mean, not that big a deal, you know, 30 days. But he remained unwavering. To do what God would have him to do. 
Before the law was signed, Daniel had a habit of prayer. Three times a day, he kneeled before an open window facing Jerusalem in obedience to Scripture found over in 2 Chronicles chapter number 6. And what Daniel was doing, now get this, get this young people, get this. What Daniel was doing was right according to the Word of God. Okay, again, I know this, I know this isn't deep, but this is good. Well, Preacher, why should we do that? Well, it says so in the Bible. Well, I know, but can you give me a good reason? Yes, I can. It says so in the Bible. Come on, we say this is God's Word. And then we want to take issue with it when it tells us what to do or what not to do? No, no, he continued to do what he was doing because it was right according to the Word of God. Regardless of consequences, he refused to change. Why? Because it's what God wanted him to do. Have you ever asked yourself why God wants us to pray? I mean, when he already really knows what we need and and, and even knows what needs to be done. Have you ever asked yourself, well, I mean, God knows what we need. I mean, why does he want us to pray? Well, the answer is simple, truly. For whatever reason, God chose to order this world in such a way that his works are accomplished primarily through prayer. Well, say, do you fully understand that, preacher? I, I don't, but I know that's the way that God works. No, he chose to work it this way. That, that his works, much of his works are done primor- primarily through prayer. If for no other reason, prayer acknowledges our dependence upon God. No, no, it's a, it's a declaration of our faith that we need God, that we believe God, that we trust God, that we know God can do what we ask. And when we neglect prayer, we actually limit what God might do in our lives and even the lives of others. Now, I'll say that again. When we neglect prayer, we actually limit God or what God, we actually limit what God might do in our own lives and in the lives of others. That's why I've encouraged you many a time, church, many a time. When, when you pray, yes, it's right to pray for others, right to pray for missionaries, right to pray for needs, all those different things. But I'm telling you, we'll never go wrong praying about our spiritual needs. Right. Search me, O oh God. Make me what you want me to be. Help me to have the courage of a Daniel. Help me to be everything that you would have me to be. Because he's the one that can do that. Every good gift, every perfect gift coming from above. Uh, look, you, you may have a little hesitant, you may even be a little hesitant to accept the truth of that statement that, 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 that we actually limit what God might do when we're not praying. But, it, but if it were not true, what do you think James meant when he wrote, you have not because you ask not? I don't think we can explain that away. I think it's just another encouragement to us to spend more time talking to God. Well, I tell you what, preacher, let me tell you something. I prayed and 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 prayed about something that still hadn't come to pass. That does not mean that God's not working. I'll say it again. That does not mean that God's not working. Doesn't mean that at all. It may just mean that whoever you're praying for, whatever the situation is, is not listening. Because once again, as you well know, sitting here, God's not going to do anything against our will. He'll prompt us. He'll speak to our hearts. He'll convict us. I'll say it again. He'll convict us. But we have to move if we want anything to be different. We have to be willing to listen. And that's why we can never give up praying for someone. Never give up praying for someone. Because we don't know how much God's working in their life. We don't know how much God's working in their heart. 
We don't, we don't know how God's speaking to them, what He might want to do with them. We, we don't know. And so we just continue to have dependence upon God. We're praying because we are dependent upon God and what only God can do. Prayer is how God meets our needs. Prayer is how God does the impossible things in our life. And He does do impossible things in our life. Prayer is the way that we get wisdom. Prayer is the way that we get guidance from God. Excuse me. Prayer is how we influence the lives of other people. Surely by now you've got it figured out in Christianity that you cannot manipulate people. Well, well, boy, I'm going to be... You might manipulate people for a short amount of time, but uh, for a real long-lasting, true change, only God can do that. We can go through all the manipulating tricks of the world. We can do all those different things. We might even get somebody to do something for a time. But I'd rather see God do it. Because when God does it, we know it's done. You might even be thinking, you know, preacher, it really doesn't seem like a real very courageous thing to pray. What's the big deal about praying? Well, have you ever felt uncomfortable about giving thanks in a restaurant? Or maybe in the lunchroom at work? Maybe before you eat your sandwich in a group of unbelievers? Oh, what are people going to think? Maybe they'll think you're honoring God. And really and truly, not to be a smart aleck about this whatsoever, it really doesn't matter what they think. What matters is that we have that heart for God. And that we are willing to operate the way that He would have us to operate, no matter how everybody else operates. Daniel really had a long life of courageous faith. He maintained a faithful walk with God without, with really without any lessening of his commitment to God all the way up to the end of his life. He went through a lot of things. But really most of his life was lived without anything remarkable taking place in it. No, he went through some remarkable times. I mean, the lion's den, who can say, oh, wow. And that really did happen. There were some remarkable things that happened in Daniel's life. But really, most of his life was not really marked by remarkable things. It was probably close to 40 years between the first dream interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar and the second one. And approximately 20 to 25 years between Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and the incident of the handwriting on the wall. And then the lion's den, of course, occurred shortly after that. Sometimes we get the idea that a life of faith is supposed to be one miracle after another. We get this idea, you know, it's, it's you know, this, how come that we're not seeing more? We, and we get this idea that a life of faith, living a life for God, is supposed to be one miracle after another, when most of life really is truly just routine. It's just doing what we're supposed to do. Day after day. Committed to living for God. Whether anything whether anything miraculous happens or not, we just continue to live for God. <clears throat> there was a second grade teacher that asked her students to write an essay about their mom or their dad. And one of the little boys in the class, he wrote this. He wrote, my dad can climb the highest mountain. And my dad can fly the fastest jet. And my dad can beat the meanest tiger. But most of the time, he just carries out the trash. 
Here's a boy that was confident that his father could do anything. But with this childlike honesty, he observed that most of his dad's life was just spent doing routine things. You know, like taking out the trash. Truly, most of our lives are spent doing routine things. Day after day, getting up, going to work, taking care of the house, taking care of family, doing these things we have to do to survive. But from time to time, we're called upon to demonstrate a courageous faith in God. Not if we're really trying to live for God. There's going to be opportunities given to demonstrate this courage of our faith in God. It might be to just to face poor health with hope that God's going to get us through that. It might be to resist temptation or to refuse a sin. Not going to do that. Not going to go there. Not going to look at that. Not going to listen to that. Not going to say that, whatever the case may be. It might be just to give God what belongs to God and trust Him to meet our needs. Just showing faith in Him. Trusting Him. Sometimes, one of the most courageous things that we can do is just admit our sinfulness and trust God to change us. Just admit to God that we need help. The courage to walk down to an old-fashioned altar and just pour a heart out to God without worrying about what everybody else in the congregation thinks about why we're going down to an altar. Because once again, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks when God's dealing with our heart. So how about you tonight? Are, are you living a courageous life of a Christian? Courageous life of a Christian. Just, just by doing those things day in and day out that God expects you to do. Living the life He would have you to live? Are you determined to be Christ-like instead of letting this world influence you with its entertainment and its fashions? Are you courageous enough to be blamed for loving your God? I'll tell you, I think it'd be a good night to make some commitments if you're not committed. To purpose in your heart to not be defiled with the things of this world. Well, preacher, you, you, it's, you know, you're, you're an old fella. You don't have to get personal. It's harder when we're young. It's, it's harder because we have these friends and, and you know, I, I, I want to do the right thing and then these friends, I, it, it just, it's like, you know, I, the peer pressure and all and they're doing that and why don't I do this and I'm there and, and you know, to speak up, they're going to think that uh, and, and they want me to do this and I don't know what to do. Do like Daniel did. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, in chapter 1, verse number 8, the end of the verse, it said, Therefore he requested, Daniel did, of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Well, preacher, I don't know any eunuchs. <laughs> You're not following here. When those people around you get to wanting you to do things that you have already purposed you're not going to do one of the best things you can ever do is go oh I tell you I, I've made some commitments to God and I'm going to ask you to help me keep those I, I, I want to stay true to God and, and could you please just pray for me that I will and don't be upset that I don't want to do these other things just, just know that I'm trying my best to live for God would you just help me with that oh come on what are they going to say 
preach, that would take a lot of courage. Yep. But it'd be worth it if it would help you to keep your commitment to Him. Because it's all about Him. We need some men and women, some young people, boys and girls, that are willing to be courageous. Let's stand. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Daniel. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the examples that you give us. And I have no idea how you may have spoken to hearts here tonight and we'll going to trust that you will have your will done, that people will do exactly what you'd have them to do. We do need men and women, young people, boys and girls that are just committed. They'll make commitments. I'm going to live my life for God no matter what anyone else does and then be determined to keep that commitment. And I just pray, Father, that your will would be done in lives tonight around this altar or decisions would be made that would help folks to live their life, their whole life, for you. Thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Piano's going to play. Many have already made it to the altar. You need to come tonight. Why don't you take a minute and bow a knee to God? Just ask Him to help you. Be what you know God would have you to be. He's the one that can do it. He's the one that will do it. Maybe there's a commitment you need to make to Him. Lord, I'm going to be different. I'm going to start handling things the way that You would have me to handle things. I'm going to start being the person You would have me to be. Instead of the one I have been. Whatever God wants. say well preacher if I make commitments like that my life starts to change then people are going to see the difference and they're going to think look again hold it no it takes some courage but it really doesn't matter what they think just know that you're doing what God would have you to do committed to live a godly life godly 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 life make that commitment tonight brother Dan's going to sing a verse Folks are still praying, still plenty of time. Whatever God wants you to do, just let him have his way.